All right, we're all thinking it. What are we going to do about this porn problem? It can be so daunting and heavy as we watch it destroy individuals and families. What you are about to hear is a presentation by Sarah Brewer, who is one of the top Latter-day Saint coaches when it comes to overcoming pornography. I wouldn't be surprised if you've seen some of Sarah's content online. She is becoming more and more popular because her approach to helping individuals overcome pornography is just so effective. Her method is described on her website as shame-free and sex-positive. As I listened to her presentation, I was so encouraged as she describes so many practical approaches of understanding the issue and then addressing it. Now, this episode is a presentation rather than an interview because the video version of this presentation is now part of our Liberating Saints virtual library. There we have 25 plus presentations to help leaders who are striving to help others overcome a struggle with pornography. So enjoy Sarah's presentation and then head on over to leadingsaints.org 14. The link will be in the show notes. And there you can watch Sarah's video presentation to see all the slides and visuals that she shares during this presentation. And you'll get free access to the entire library for 14 days, which should be plenty of time to watch all the presentations. Every day, people who thought they could never overcome pornography are doing just that. Hope is available and recovery is real. So visit leadingsaints.org 14 to access all the incredible material. So you're checking us out as maybe a potential podcast you could start listening to. I know many of you have been listening for a long time, but let me just talk to the newbies for a minute. What is Leading Saints? What are we trying to do here with this podcast? Well, let me explain. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization. A 501c3 is what they call it. And we have a mission to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. Now, of course, often means in the context of a calling. It may mean in your local community, your work assignments. We've heard about our content influencing all sorts of leaders in all sorts of different contexts. We invite you to listen to this episode and maybe a few others of our 500 plus episodes that we have out there. Jump in and begin to learn and begin to consider some of these principles we talk about on the Leading Saints podcast. Here we go. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad this is working out. And, uh, you know, I've seen, first of all, I've got a marketing background. I must say you have phenomenal marketing and all things that you do online with yes. the, the good things that you do. So you keep popping up in my feed. I'm like, who's Sarah? <laughs> Sarah Brewer. And so it was fun to connect. And you are a life coach, uh-huh. but you're a life coach for individuals struggling with pornography. Is that a, a good way to, yep. to sum it up? Yes. And yep. how did you, I mean, it's not... I don't want to like stigmatize this industry or anything, but usually I see a lot of like men who are like in recovery and then they're like, I found some things that have worked. I can help others. Yeah. So I'm going to be the the coach, right? So how did you get in this niche of being a life coach for individuals who struggle with pornography? Yeah. So I first started coaching returned missionaries and just loved, loved, loved that. And that's when, you know, I, I, for me found these tools that I learned through life coaching was after my mission, it was a difficult transition and a lot of clients wanted help with porn. And so it just kept coming up and my certifications, the things that I learned around buffering, some of the things I'll talk about today, and then just education around healthy sexuality, shame-free sexuality. It just, 
it worked really, really well for people. And uh, I remember being in my parents' basement, being like, like feeling this calling. Okay, let's like focus on porn. And I was scared out of my mind. And I was like, I am a girl and I'm kind of young and like people are not going to want to hear this from me. But it just, it really felt like a calling. And, you know, we ran with it and it's uh, been really successful. And we've helped a lot of people since then. So it's good. Cool. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm glad you jumped in. You felt that calling because, man, we need, we need some help, right? So it's like all hands mm -hmm. on deck, whoever feels called to jump in and, and make a difference here, let's do it. And I want to maybe smash any stigmas, you know, not only yeah. the stigma of you being a, life, a, a female life coach in this, with this focus, but I would imagine that not all of those that you help are, are men, you know, no, usually we no, women, absolutely. Men. Yeah. So what, how would you describe what you've seen with that dynamic of both men and women struggling with pornography? I mean, I think that like majority of my clients are men, but women absolutely do. And it's the same tools that we can use to quit as women. And there t tends to be more shame there for women. Mm -hmm. And so that's something to work through even more. But I mean, we're all sexual beings and porn, like I'm going to talk about here. It's just, you know, a way that we learn to cope with emotion. And, and so anyone can struggle with it. it doesn't mean that you're less than if you're a woman struggling yeah. with it. Yeah. Well, I don't want to steal any more of your uh, talking points here or too early. So let's jump into yeah. your presentation. I'll be standing by listening and then I'll jump on at the end. And we'll, we'll talk about, uh, I'll fire some questions at you. So cool. Sounds great. Okay. So the presentation is called the roots of pornography use. And then I titled it here, best practices for leaders who minister to those struggling with porn have leaders in mind as I made this presentation. And I'm excited because I do get emails often from ministers from other religions, not just LDS, from many, many different backgrounds who are like, help me help my people. And so I'm excited to be able to share this with them as well. All right. There we go. Okay. So I am Sarah Brewer. Help people quit porn. My tagline is shame-free sex positive. I'm also the host of the Overcome Pornography for Good podcast. So you can see, you see me around there. Here's what we're going to cover going to talk about th the three big roots of porn use, unwanted porn use in individuals. The first one is escape and buffering. The second one is over desire, which are these automatic, more compulsive urges. And the third root is identity. And then Kurt, if you want to ask questions after each section or at the very end, whatever you want to do, just stop me. Okay, cool. Okay. So first one, going to talk about this first root of porn use, which is escape and buffering. So a myth that many of us believe about porn is that porn use is about an overactive sex drive or rebellion. And this just isn't true. The truth is, is that porn use, especially, you know, unwanted porn use is about escaping emotion. And I call this term buffering. So might be escaping emotion like loneliness, anxiety, stress, shame is a big one, boredom, discouragement, pressure, anything really. Buffering is just a term I use for any action you might use to avoid negative emotions. So a buffer can be overeating, can be over drinking, it can be scrolling social media, it can be binging Netflix, it can be over shopping, and it can be porn. It can be a whole number of these things. And seeing it in this, like seeing porn with a list of all these things helps us get rid of the shame because we notice, oh, it's just the same thing. It's the same thing as if I was using overeating to escape emotion or over shopping to escape emotion. That's all porn use is, is it's me escaping emotion. So for example, 
might be stressed from school, from tests. And my clients, right, got finals coming up and just so stressed, can't even handle. I need to escape the stress. So I escape with sugar or feeling shame and inadequacy. And I just can't, it's just really painful. And so I escape that with video games or, you know, again, shame and inadequacy. We escape that with porn use and it gets rid of that feeling for a moment. But the thing about buffers is that it doesn't really solve the problem makes us feel better for a second. And then we typically feel worse afterwards. But a lot of us get stuck in these buffering patterns. We feel emotional pain. So a mistake that many people make is that they use Band-Aid solutions that don't solve for the buffering. This can be things like accountability programs, web filters, just got to replace it with exercise. A lot of people hear that. Even seeking deeper connections. If you seek deeper connections, it'll be fixed. Relying only on fasting and prayer. These are good things, but they are band-aid solutions and they will not get to the root of the buffering. So instead, what we want to do is we want to learn emotional management, different coping skills, learn emotional resiliency, which is the ability to feel the emotion without needing to escape it. And I think I'll talk about this here in a little bit, but this emotional resiliency, it's not like, let's just be strong and not feel the emotion and just like buck up and be a man. <laughs> it's not what I'm talking about. It's really learning this skill of being able to sit with emotion. And many of us aren't taught that. And it's a skill that we need to learn now in adulthood. Then we can teach it to our kids and just get better and better. And then lastly, instead, we need to work on healing from emotional wounds. So an application for leader, and I'll get here into a more specific example in a second, is that we need to recognize, especially with our members that are coming to us for help and wanting to change, recognize that porn use is not about rebellion and it's not about having too high of a sex drive. Also need to focus. The second point here is notice that focusing only on quitting porn isn't going to create long-term results. So just don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. That's not going to create long-term results. The focus needs to be on healing wounds, learning this emotional management and resiliency skills. That's the route that's going to help with the porn use. So a very common story that I hear, especially with RMs, like I was saying, I, I love the RMs and hear this a lot, come home from their mission. And maybe they struggled with porn before their mission, but they quit and didn't struggle. And then they come home and a whole bunch of stuff comes up as their RM, right? A lot of negative emotion, you know, fear, worry, stress. On top of that, there can be difficult missionary experiences that cause some trauma and shame and regret. And, you know, it's kind of taboo. We don't talk about the hard parts of missions or like the trauma for missions. Often we talk about how great they are. So there can be some shame there and just a lot of inner turmoil. And inner turmoil, that negative emotion builds and builds and builds and they need an escape. And what are they used to escaping that emotion with, especially pre-mission, is porn. So you use porn to escape that even for a moment. And then this is where we get into the shame cycle. They receive shameful messages from themselves, from others that they're working with. This is, you know, something's wrong with me because I quit and now I'm back. I'm never going to be able to change. With these shameful messages, shame causes us to hide and avoid. We hide and avoid from other people. We hide and avoid from ourselves. And we hide and avoid from God, right? Who wants to pray or show up spiritually when you feel shame? 
I don't want to do that. And then there's the more porn use because we're hiding and avoiding feeling more negative emotion, using that to using porn to escape the negative emotion. And then these RMs that, you know, I worked with or even heard of. So I didn't talk about this at the beginning, but before I even really got into work, I've had, you know, experiences with friends and people that dated that had this same pattern and they're able to quit after getting emotional health through working with a professional, not just trying to pray it away or trying to shame themselves out of quitting. Okay. One important thing to notice here is that shameful tactics used by well-intentioned family or leaders usually only makes it worse. So that brings me to shame that I want to talk about for a moment. A very common fuel, not just in RM porn use, but in all porn use, especially unwanted porn use is shame. So shame only makes porn use worse. Shame is this feeling that there is something wrong with me. Shame comes from thoughts. There's something wrong with me. And like I mentioned before, and Brene Brown teaches us this, is that the actions that come from shame are hiding and avoiding. And when we hide and avoid, it creates more porn use. It creates more shame. It creates more buffering activities. And so then we get into this shame cycle. And this is what a lot of members get into around pornography is they view porn. They think that there's something wrong with them. They feel shame. They hide and avoid and they buffer with more porn. And it just cycles and cycles and cycles. And then they think, in order for me to quit porn, I just need to beat myself up a little bit more. I need to tell myself that this is really, really, really bad. But that just keeps them here in this shame spiral, in this shame cycle. Okay. Shame, just a few messages here. So shame is always a message from the adversary and is never from God. Sometimes my clients, they think, well, like shame is God telling me to be better. But what we see, you know, God cares about the fruits, cares about the fruits of what we're doing with our life. And the fruits of shame are never good fruits. So shame cannot be from God. I love thinking about, you know, Adam and Eve, they take the fruit. And what's the first thing that Satan says to them? Hide, hide yourselves. What have you done? His first message to them was shame. We have to be very, very careful not to mistake that shame is from God because it's not. And we see that when we see the fruits of the shame cycle, we see that shame cannot be from God because the fruits are not good. Guilt is I did something wrong. Guilt is a great like sign, little siren that goes off in our brain. That's like, hey, you did something that didn't really line up with your values. Shame is I am wrong. It's really important here is in order for guilt to stay helpful, we have to release it and let it go. If we hold on to guilt, it becomes shame. I've used an example recently, you know, guilt might be like someone honking their horn at you if you start to swerve into their lane, like honk, like, oh, you're like, okay, I'm going to get back in my lane. But if that person keeps honking at you, like the rest of the time you're driving, honk, 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 it gets annoying and frustrating. And then you probably drive more reckless and you get more upset. And so guilt, similarly, it it's going to give us that sign and then we have to release it and let it go. If we keep holding on to it, it turns into shame. Something that um, is really helpful too is to notice that it's not either shame or justification. Okay, A lot of times people are like, well, if I don't feel shame, then I'm just going to go and view and justify and do all the things. Those are two very different sides of the spectrum. Shame and justification. Very, very 
extremes. What we need to notice here is that there's middle ground. There's middle emotions that are going to be much more helpful than shame and much more helpful than justification. Either of those are not going to help us quit porn. But staying here in the middle using emotions like worthiness, commitment, hope, that's going to be so much more useful than these extreme sides. So we need to try to find this middle ground and stay in this middle ground as much as we can. It's also a difference between physiology versus morality. And I want to talk about this with shame. Okay, physiology versus morality. This is really important to bring up as we're talking about shame too. Just leave it here. So physiology are normal, natural body responses, hunger, a sexual urge, craving for sugar. They're normal, natural body responses. Morality is what we do with those responses. So feel, you know, an urge for sugar and we have opportunities with that. We can, you know, eat an apple. We can go and steal a candy bar. Okay. Morality comes with what we do with those physiological responses. Morality is not the physiological response itself. This is really important because so many people feel shame around the physiological response because they feel a sexual urge, because they want to view pornography. When the truth is, is that that is not morality. That desire is not sin. Sin comes with whatever your values are about what you do with those physiological responses. And if we're feeling shame about any time we feel an urge, we demonize it, we push it down. I'm going to talk about this more here in another section too, but I do want to introduce it here and it just makes it worse. It just makes it worse. It gets us in that shame cycle. Shame cycle. And so it's really important that we start to differentiate between physiology and morality and physiology, desire for sex, hunger cues, desire for sugar is not morality. What happens, like if we think about this with sugar, when we demonize desire for sugar, it leads to binging sugar. It leads to binging behaviors. When we say, oh, I shouldn't want that. I shouldn't want sugar. I shouldn't want sugar. I shouldn't want sugar it leads to binging more and it's similar with sexual urges. So we need to neutralize that and recognize that physiology is just a normal natural body response and part of being human. So a little bit of application here for leaders is we want to avoid coming down with the hammer, giving ultimatums, fear techniques. Your family will be ruined forever if you don't stop now and punishments as an attempt to motivate just doesn't work. And then lastly, a few articles that are really helpful with this is there's an Enzyme article called um, It Isn't a Sin to be Weak. And it talks about the difference between weakness and sin. This can really help us with those shame spirals. And then Brad Wilcox gave a great conference talk recently called Worthiness is Not Flawlessness. I have clients bring that talk up to me often and how helpful it is for them. Okay. Do you have any questions, Kurt, that you want to talk about here? Or should we keep going? You know, just some things I, I want to underscore is this this concept of escaping the emotion. Like when we put it in that context, especially as church leaders, because it's so easy to default to this state of like, oh, it's the behavior. And we mm -hmm. hyper focus on the behavior and it drives ourselves crazy because like that will not solve the behavior. It's yeah. going to perpetuate it. And so and then the world just opens up as, as far as options with how we can help people when it's like, oh, this is actually an emotional thing, or this is actually something about just how you, your skill set of coping with 
tough things you've experienced in life. And yeah. let's talk about that. And it's so liberating as a church leader, especially as a bishop, to think, oh, I don't have to just talk about porn all the time. Like yes. I've said everything that, that I know how to say, let's move past that and really talk about, about real healing, you know? Yeah, such a good perspective. It's going to help the, the person so much more too. Yeah. And going back to, you know, you talk about filters and other things we try. Again, we're focused on the behavior. I mean, those can still be good tools to use here and there, or, I mean, they're, they're still needed along the path some way, but sometimes we hyper focus on them as the, maybe a solution. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the solution is that I use covenant eyes and mm-hmm. that it's a software to, that helps yeah, you yeah. have good material. And that's just not going to be a long-term solution. Yeah. It can be helpful for sure. And I'm going to use those with my kids as they grow up, but mm-hmm. I'm also not going to rely on that to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, you heard a lot, you know, it's almost a, a joke with some because you hear it so much of, you know, those, you know, maybe the return missionary or whatever. It's like, well, you just get married so you have an appropriate yes. outlet for the sexual urges. But again, that they find they hit the same wall again, like, oh, actually, that didn't help. Like, oh, like, my so, gosh, you know, like just these little things we think we just have to address the behavior, give an appropriate outlet for it. But it just perpetuates it. Yes. I can't tell you how many clients I have that are like, I thought marriage was supposed to fix this. Uh-huh. But guess what? There's a ton of negative emotion that happens when you get married too. There's stuff to yeah. figure out. There's stuff that you could buffer from and it's yeah. getting married is not the solution. Right. Yeah. And I, I just, I appreciate your focus on return missionaries because, and also your focus on shame as the root cause of why this becomes such a, a difficult dynamic but, you know, return missionaries are so vulnerable to that shame because they've had such an overstructured life, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with mission life. I think it blessed our lives in, in various ways of being overstructured and whatnot. But then you move out of that overstructure and, and you're feeling like, oh, it's been two years. Like, I've got this figured out. Like, I'm stronger. Like, I feel like I'm on a spiritual high. And then that first mess up, you fall so far From where, you know, this pedestal you felt like you were on that you've conquered, you fall so far that that shame is even more potent for those return missionaries uh, Mm -hmm. because they're transitioning into a not so structured life, right? Yeah. And there's so much shame. It's not even just shame around porn. It's shame around, I'm I'm not reading my scriptures like I was. And I just don't feel like I'm as good of a person and I don't have things figured out and I'm being idle and all the things, right? There's there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I appreciate your your discussion on shame and, and guilt, you know, a lot of times we, you hear that the separation of what guilt is and what shame is, but I love your emphasis on like an, an overemphasis on guilt mm-hmm. can lead to shame. Right. And not only, you know, I preach a lot t- to leaders, like the best thing you can do is, is remove shame rather than remove behaviors, you know, mm-hmm. in that interaction as a church leader. But part of that is, you got to recognize, yeah, there's guilt and there's a purpose for guilt, but we have to move past it. We can't just dwell on the guilt or constantly come back to remember how like wrong this was like, you should yeah. be feeling guilt. Like, and then we, we push them into shame and then we, yeah. you know, we, we lose progress or we don't see change and it gets so frustrating. Like, well, no, I'm focusing on guilt, but I love that emphasis that guilt can lead to shame if you hang with guilt too long. Yeah, I think the problem comes when we use guilt as like the motivator. Guilt is more yeah. like a sign. It's more just like a little signal. And mm-hmm. then let's use something else to motivate us. Yeah. And I guess that's, and this, these, are, these terms are all related, but that concept of if you're in a, 
in a posture of, as a church leader of trying to motivate people, or you're thinking, if I could just motivate him enough, then we'll get past this. Like, obviously he's not motivated because he had four relapses last week and the week mm-hmm. before he only had three. So I just need to motivate him more. Like we just got to get out of the motivation game yeah. and just push them back to grace and love and hope. And uh, you're, we're going to find better results there. Yeah. And what's really going on? Because the problem isn't that you slipped up four times last week. The problem is there's something that's really causing you to go there. What is that? Yeah, Really helpful. All right. Let's move on to the your next section here. Okay. So root two over desire. Over desire is, like I said, those compulsions for porn. And so a myth here is that desire and compulsion for porn means that your brain is broken and unfixable. The truth is, is that over-desire is learned and can be unlearned. It is actually a sign that your reward system in your brain is working correctly. Okay. An example here of over-desire is like every day after I eat dinner, I want chocolate. I, I have trained my brain to want chocolate every single day after I eat dinner. And I actually think it started on my mission because I was blessed enough to have members who would feed me dessert after every meal. And so that's kind of an example of here what this looks like for members struggling with porn. It can be witching hours, can be, you know, every time they're at the station, they're a first responder, a fire, firefighter. And every time they're at the station, they have urges for porn. Every time, you know, at 10 p.m. hits or first thing in the morning, it's just just happens. So the truth is, is that it's actually your brain and your reward system working correctly. And we see this through... Pavlov's dogs and and Pavlov's study around his dogs. It's a basic thing we hear in like college psychology courses. Pavlov was a scientist and he had a bunch of dogs that he kept in cages and he would go around and he would ring a bell and then he would give the dog a treat and ring the bell and give him a treat and ring the bell and give him a treat over and over and over and over and over again. And pretty soon the dog started to associate that sound of the bell with the treat. And so these dogs would hear the bell, not even see the treat and start to salivate at the sound of the bell. They just associated that sound of the bell with the tree. Makes sense, right? Now, the other part of Pavlov's experience is he was able to train them to stop salivating at the sound of the bell. And we don't often hear about this part, but this part is just as important and um, really, really brings a lot of hope to people struggling with over-desire for porn. So what he did to train them to not salivate at the sound of the bell was he rang the bell and didn't give him a treat and rang the bell and didn't give him a treat, rang the bell and didn't give him a treat over and over and over and over again until they stopped associating that sound of the bell with the treat. And at first they were ticked and they were barking and they heard that bell and they were angry and they were salivating. They're like, what the heck, Pavlov? Where's my treat? But after enough time, after hearing that bell enough without getting the reward, they would hear that bell and not associate it with treat at all. Now, if Pavlov would have just put his dogs on an island for a few years where they didn't hear any bells and then bring them back a few years later, they would still salivate at that sound of the bell, even if it had been two years since they heard it. Because what's going to create bringing down that over desire, getting rid of that association isn't going to be just time away from it. It's going to be actually hearing it and not receiving the reward. So this makes sense with missionaries, right? They're out doing something else. They don't have the same stuff that was available to them before, but then they come back and they still have these 
urges because they didn't go through the process of hearing it and not giving themselves the reward. And so a few key takeaways here. Well, and and let me say here too, I want to make sure I'm being clear. You know what this looks like is it's 10 o'clock, you give yourself porn, you watch porn at 10 o'clock and then your brain remembers that and 10 o'clock comes around again and you watch porn and you train your brain to start wanting porn at this certain time because you've done it before or with certain emotions. So whenever you feel stress, you train your brain to associate stress with porn. You train your brain to associate waking up with porn. You train your brain to associate going to the station with porn or being in a certain environment with porn. So that's what's happening here. And we can train ourselves out of that like Pavlov trained these dogs out of it. So a few key takeaways from this example is that it's a mistake to focus on avoiding urges. Like it would be a mistake for Pavlov to focus on just avoiding the bell. Instead, what we want to do is focus on training our brains out of desire, which is hearing that bell and not receiving the reward. Okay, triggers for porn are never going to go away, especially today when we have smartphones and we have computers and we have, you know, we live in a very hypersexualized culture and we have like stress is never going to go away. Negative emotion is never going to go away. So true self-control comes from learning to hear that bell without giving yourself the reward. And I'm going to talk about how to do that. This is mindfulness. And all the studies are showing that mindfulness techniques are the most effective in helping people quit porn because it teaches them how to do this. So what mindfulness looks like is there's Imagine a pendulum swings back and forth between willpower and giving in. And anyone who struggles with porn knows this pendulum very well. They're like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Willpower, grit, not going to view, not going to view. And then, okay, I'm exhausted. So we're going to view. And then willpower, 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 and then give in. So what we need to do is we need to learn to stay here in the middle again. Willpower doesn't work because willpower is like holding a beach ball under water. When you have an urge to view porn... You're like, no, 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 go away, go away, go away, go away. Hold it down, hold it down, hold it down. What happens when you hold a beach ball underwater? It just wants to pop up. The further down you hold it, the more strength it has to pop up. That's what happens with willpower. And that's why we get stuck in this pendulum. So instead of holding that down, you want to learn to just sit with it. Sit with the emotions and sit with the urges. Not push them away, not try to make them go away, not try to run away from them but allow them to be there, sit with them without giving ourselves the reward. And I have, I'll have i talk about how to do this specifically in just a moment. But what this does is this teaches true self-control and allows these urges and these emotions to pass through sometimes. And, and this isn't just with urges, right? This can be with any emotion, with anger, right? When I hold anger down, I have two toddlers and they're the best, but they're really busy. So when I hold my, like, if I get angry and I'm just like, no, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to think about it. Go away, angry, anger, go away. What happens? It explodes and I explode and it's the worst. And so this is not just with urges. It's with any emotions. We need to learn how to sit with them instead of trying to make them go away. Sometimes when we think about sitting with emotion or sitting with urges, I can't do that because I don't want it there. And it's going to be there forever if I just let it sit there. The truth is, is when we allow emotions, when we allow urges to be there, it allows them to like make their way through our body and go away. So it's not going to be there forever. I've heard before, emotions only last 90 seconds until you have a thought that brings that emotion again. 
But the natural flow of emotion and urges is to come and go unless we're holding them and trying to push them away. And then they come back even more. Okay. So again, here, I want to bring this, this idea of physiology versus morality again, because if we are thinking, oh, this urge is bad, it's bad for me to feel this, that's when we're going to be pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. When we can have this mindset of, oh, I'm a human, I grew up in a super hypersexualized culture, my brain's trained to want the dopamine of pornography, it makes sense that I'm having this urge right now, there's nothing wrong with me for wanting this. That's when we can just allow it to sit there without falling into that willpower resist react cycle, allow it to sit there and learn how to not give ourselves the reward to train ourselves out of that over desire. So here is one of the most simple ways that I teach people how to start doing this is stop, drop, and breathe. So you stop and you point out to yourself, oh, I'm feeling an urge. Sounds simple, but this can be really difficult for people, especially if they feel a lot of shame about their urges to actually say to themselves, I'm feeling an urge to have the awareness that they're feeling stress or whatever, and they're having urges. So stop and notice that you're feeling an urge. Number two, drop, drop into your body. So where do you feel this in your body? We're thinking of sensations in our body. We have different sensations in our body with different emotions. So when we are happy, like for me, happiness in my body feels light and it feels airy. When I feel sad, it feels heavy and tight. Okay, just a really simple example. So our body has different feelings, tight, hard, soft, light, maybe like shaky. We want to drop into our body, point out the sensations we're feeling into our body, focus on those sensations and breathe into them. It's okay that I'm feeling this. I'm having an urge. I feel tightness in my chest, focusing on it. It's okay. That tightness is okay to be there. I feel antsy. I feel really antsy and shaky. Okay, that's okay. I can feel antsy and shaky. I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to breathe into it. When we do this, it allows those urges to make their way through our body and go away. Okay, this is what it means to listen to that bell, to feel the trigger, to feel the urge and not respond to them. It's a practice in mindfulness. I have some podcast episodes that explain this in depth that I want to make sure I share because uh, these are totally free and you can listen to me explain this in much more depth, episode 66, episode 47, and episode 21. I think in 66, I actually take you through a practice, like a, a more mindful practice there in your mind. So use those and, and share those if you'd like to. One thing that's important to recognize about this is that it's a skill that needs to be learned and it requires growth mindset. A lot of us, when it comes to quitting porn, we have these all or nothing mindsets, right? We're going to quit cold turkey. This is it. We're done. What this actually requires is more of a growth mindset, which is this belief that you can change and that it's step by step. It's not all or nothing. It's not cold turkey. You slipping up does not mean that you're back to square one. This is something, well, I think I'll talk about it in a moment, but we don't, it's damaging to um, say if you slip up, you have to start all over. Not how growth works. Looks more like a graph like this. Do, 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 do. It's going up even though there's like ups and downs as we're going up. Okay. So a few applications here for leaders is that we want to one, avoid telling people that they're going to have to struggle with this forever. And I know a lot of us maybe say that because we don't know any better. And we, we think that that's true. And, and we feel a little bit hopeless around this. But what I want to offer to you today is that it's not true. And instead, recognize that our brains are very malleable. And there is so much hope 
and so, so, so much hope that you can quit. So we want to instill that confidence and hope instead. We want to avoid encouraging the all or nothing thinking. So we start over when we slip up and instead use slip ups as learning opportunities, learning and growing instead of immediate perfection. Want to avoid demonizing sexuality, right? That physiology versus morality principle. And instead teach our members that sexuality is a beautiful part of our existence. And that it makes sense that they're struggling for urges and that it's not a problem. It's not a problem to want things that are sexual. It just isn't. Morality comes from what we do with those desires. Those desires are normal, natural, and okay. And you can learn to be in more control when you stop demonizing that part of yourself. We want to avoid saying that more prayer, fasting, and righteousness will fix this and instead encourage healing pain, right? Like we talked about from buffering and learning mindfulness skills. I tell people, you know, it's the same thing as if you went to your bishop and you're like, I'm overeating. Can you help me overeat? Like, they're not going to tell you that praying more and fasting more and being more righteous is going to fix an overeating habit. It's the same thing. So, okay, there we go there. Do you have any questions on this section, Kurt? Yeah. Um, man, this is really good stuff. I just, I love this concept of learning to sit with it because mm. I think for whatever reason, our natural response is don't sit with it, go to distraction, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. if you're having struggles, you know, after 7 PM, maybe that's when you should go to the gym, you know, and yes. sure, I guess that's fine. But if we're doing it in a state of to distraction or the old, you know, sing a hymn or, yeah. Um, or even do like, instead of doing something that's sinful, a behavior like maybe do something that's not sinful. So yeah, maybe overeating isn't so bad because yeah, it doesn't right. put your temper recommend at risk. You know, I'm, that's maybe a, a strange example. But the point sure. being is that oftentimes we want to default to or encourage people to go to distraction rather than just sitting with it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's because we haven't been taught that yeah. we can do that. And it feels scary. It feels more scary and more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. And uh, I, I too enjoy ridiculous amounts of chocolate after dinner. And so yes. like, that's a good practice. And, and even like leaders, like that's the thing is sometimes it's hard for church leaders to understand where they're coming from if they've never really struggled with pornography, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but there are ways that all of us buffer. Yes. There are ways that we do behaviors that maybe they don't, they aren't sinful, but they're not necessarily healthy. Yes. And, I mean, we can point to the smartphone maybe is a good place to start, right? Like yeah. just the, the overuse of a smartphone is maybe not overly healthy and could be, you know, could be addressed. But so, but finding, even as the church leader, like finding places where you can sit with like, oh, wow, you know, I do like to just have a huge lunch after, during a stressful day or, I'm just going to mm -hmm. sit with that instead. Or man, I just, even as a father, I feel those emotions come up like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm about to turn into monster dad. Yes. So I'm going like, to go to the other room and sit with these feelings. Right. And so I think all of us can practice this and get a better sense of how this feels when we just get curious about what we're feeling and sit with it. Yeah. And it's, it's so helpful to recognize that because I have people say to me like, why porn? Why can't it be anything else? Why does it have to be porn? Mm -hmm. Why couldn't like even drugs? Why? I mean, I know that's it's just from such a place of shame and like sadness. Right. Like, why can't it be anything else? And the truth is, is because that's what you unintentionally trained your brain to want. And so it's mm -hmm. the same thing as those over desires to eat, those over desires for sugar. It's the same thing. And so many, right, especially like 
turn missionaries, people who grew up with the internet, like we had access to things that people didn't have access to before. We had so much access to pornography. And so it makes sense that maybe you, you used that as your buffer when there's nothing wrong with you. And you're part of the generation that just got thrown into this and we're learning and we're doing better, but there's nothing wrong with you. Nothing. Yeah. yeah so helpful. And I love the, your emphasis on really inserting hope of making sure it's okay to communicate. This isn't going to be a forever thing. Like there are skill mm-hmm. sets, there are things, help resources that individuals, you know, they move on with life. This isn't like this white knuckle struggle the rest of their life. It makes me think of my friend, Steve Shields, who uh, he was entering a recovery from a sexual addiction. And he was introduced to my other friend, Chris Bennett, who had like 10 years of sobriety. And mm-hmm. Steve was just amazed at like that Chris could just like function in real life. And he wasn't like holding on where Steve was sort of still in that moment of like, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. And Chris yeah. just got through 10 years. Like, how is that even possible? But he talks about how it instilled in him such hope of like, oh, like this isn't a white knuckle thing until the end of eternity. Like yeah. it, it will get easier as I build these skills and and reach out to these resources. Yes. Yeah. We don't go up to the pulpit and say, I quit porn and you can too, right? But it might be a little helpful if we heard yeah. that. Yeah. And then the, your emphasis on all or nothing. One thing I still hear is more common than I wish it was in the church leader context is when you're telling the... And youth is a whole another dynamic. Like in my opinion, like if you're working with youth, there's really never an appropriate time to restrict the sacrament. And that's for various reasons. And I get Mm -hmm. that's up to each bishop. But I think that dynamic of restricting the sacrament or even visiting with the bishop on a weekly basis, that brings such shame to that dynamic that we're actually making it more difficult for success than not. But yeah. Putting that aside, but I often hear like this concept that feeds into this all or nothing of all right, well, if you can go seven days or 14 days, then you can take the sacrament. That's a very all or nothing thing where it's just going to, again, drum up more shame and make it more difficult for progress. Yeah. And what I teach my clients too, is that progress isn't measured by how many days you've gone without porn. Just if we think back to Pavlov's dogs, progress is measured by how many urges you're, you're processing is the term I use. So how many urges you're sitting with and allowing to pass through it and how you're building that skill. That's progress, not data. Let me know so many people, you know, can go 30 days and then binge, you know, it's not about days. Yeah, really helpful. All right. Part three, is that where we're at? Part three. This one's the shortest one. So just a few notes here on identity. Like we've talked about this myth, you have to struggle with this forever. When the truth is, is that many people quit porn and it's not a life sentence. I love using the story of Quinn who is awesome. He's one of my clients and he quit porn after 50 years of struggling at age 63. And now he's a life coach and he works in my program and he's, you know, retired, but he loves it so much that he, uh, he does support groups in my, my program is just such a powerhouse. Since after I learned these tools, the switch flipped and it was easy transformation for me. It worked and completely changed my life. And so what we learned from his is that it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've struggled, there is hope and healing available for you. And hello, that is the message of Christ and of the atonement. But sometimes we like don't apply it to porn. And so let's make sure that we're also applying it to porn because it is so true here too. How we think about ourselves really matters. I like to think, you know, how we think about ourselves gives us energy for our actions. So how we think about ourselves 
gives us energy for our actions. So for example, right, to become a runner, you have to start seeing yourself as a runner to become successful in your company. You have to start seeing yourself as someone who is competent and able to thrive at the job at hand. This identity piece is extremely important. If you're thinking, I'm not someone who can quit porn, it's really hard to quit porn. I hope I can quit porn, but I don't really think I can. It's going to be really difficult to do it. You have to start taking on that identity as someone who quits porn before you even do it. That feels a little backwards for people, but it's it's really important. Identity here is a very key step. This is something that I just want to mention for a second because it's a big enough thing that I see in my clients that I think it's worth mentioning is that all porn use does not equal addiction. Elder Oaks gave a great, isn't an enzyme, a great talk about this, where he says, we recognize that not everyone who uses pornography willfully is addicted to it. In fact, most young men and women who struggle with pornography are not addicted. If the behavior is incorrectly classified as an addiction, the user may think he or she has lost agency in the capacity to overcome the problem. This kind of comes back to that identity, right? This can weaken their resolve to recover and repent. And he says, lastly, it's important not to label even intensive or habitual use of pornography as an addiction because that does not accurately describe the circumstances or the full nature of the required repentance and recovery. And so this isn't like a never say addicted stance, but it's just something to be aware of. I think this is really interesting just to kind of sit on for a moment is that this year in June, the ICD-11, which is the International Classification of Diseases by the World Health Organization, they started classifying porn use as an impulse control disorder, not an addictive disorder. And that doesn't mean that there aren't compulsions and, you know, I'm not going to go into all the nuances here. I've done that in other podcast episodes, but it's just something to pay attention to. And here's really the key point I want to get at is that we want to let individuals decide whether or not to use the addiction label and we don't want to just give it to them. Okay. So if it's helpful for them, use it. If it's not helpful for them, all this stuff that I've talked about like just shows us you can drop it. You do not have to identify as addicted if it doesn't feel helpful and if it doesn't feel true. Not all porn use is addiction. And this is why this isn't so important because here's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid fostering this addiction mindset, which is an I can't change mindset. I'm stuck mindset. Once an addict, always an addict. I'm powerless to this. Those are really harmful things that we get in our brain that keep us from quitting porn. We want to avoid creating addiction identities like, which is what I just talked about. We want to avoid young teenagers thinking that they're addicted because they're interested in porn. And unfortunately, this happens because of things said about pornography is, you know, a, a teenager going through the hormones and the natural things and is interested in porn, has access to the internet, starts to think that they're addicted when maybe they're not. And lastly, we want to avoid members feeling hopeless and stuck. Okay. One thing I, I ask this often in like my live classes that I do a few times a year. So I ask them, how do you feel when you think I'm addicted? And these are common responses that I get. I feel out of control. I feel hopeless. I feel fearful. I feel like I'm never going to be able to change. And I feel like I've gone too far. And this is so important. Think back to that identity piece. When our identity and we're feeling this out of control, hopeless, fearful, like I'll never be able to change, like I've gone too far, that's going to play out directly in whether or not we're able to quit porn. It's going to play out directly how we act. If you feel out of control, 
you are going to act out of control. And so it's worth it to maybe question this, any of these beliefs that might be coming up for you around pornography, like I'm out of control, I'm hopeless, I'm addicted and I can't change because that's just not true. So a little application here for leaders is we want to just avoid assuming addiction. We want to avoid just using addiction as a label and let let our members and let individuals decide how they want to label it. We want to avoid any comments that might make a young man or woman in the congregation think that they're addicted because they viewed or have urges to view pornography. And we want to help members foster an identity of someone who quits porn. And so what that might look like is instead of always, always, always focusing on don't look, don't look, don't look, let's also focus on like what identity do you want to have? How can you live into that identity now? What does someone who doesn't struggle with porn do? Okay, go and do that. What does someone who doesn't struggle with porn feel and think about themselves? Let's start feeling that and let's start thinking about that ourselves that way right now. I had someone, a client recently in my program who said, all I've done is the identity work this last month. And I haven't struggled at all. I feel like so good. I, I haven't had any urges for porn. I'm I'm doing so much better than I've ever done. And all I've done is changed the way that I'm thinking about myself. So we cannot underestimate how powerful identity work is. Okay, there is hope, healing, and a life without porn available to anyone, to anyone. And I think this is my last slide here. It's just, yeah, I I just have a vision of a group of really powerful and informed leaders that use research-based techniques instead of creating unintentional harm from fear and shame. There is so much good that you can do as a leader here in these positions. And uh, I hope that this, hope that these principles will help you do that when it comes to pornography. Awesome. Uh, Sarah, that was, that was so good. And I so much appreciate your approach to the concept of addiction in this work I do with leading saints and especially through creating this liberating saints, this resource, you quickly realize there's like these two camps of like, You never say addict and you do say addict. And I get caught in the middle of it and sort of frustrated because sometimes I hear people talk about, yeah, pornography is not an addiction. Don't even use the term as if just by not saying addict is somehow going to help. And Mm -hmm. like you said, in some instances, yeah, it can help, right? And so I love your slide where if it helps, use it. If it doesn't help, don't use it. Because the dynamic I think people miss, especially those in the camp where they're like, never use addiction is that in this process with immortality, where we're struggling with things, especially with sin, there has to be a step of surrender where we Mm -hmm. give it all to God and say, I am broken. I don't know what to do. You're going to have to help me. And for a lot of people, using that term addiction is another way for to say, I'm broken and I surrender this, that without Christ, I'm addicted. And so I need Christ to move through that. And so as long as everybody has a component of that step of surrender, whether mm-hmm. that's through the word addiction or not. So anyways, I really appreciate yeah. your your approach to that term and, and how we use it and whatnot. Really helpful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I can see it being helpful for people. And then I also see the other side a lot where yeah. it becomes a little bit of a trap. So. Right, yeah. I want to maybe emphasize just, obviously you're a life coach. And man, I kind of, when I hear people sort of downplay life coaches, like, oh, you know, they don't have, <laughs> real schooling or training or whatnot. And a lot of leaders, they feel like 
oh, well, I got to get this person. Wow, they're really struggling with these urges and addiction or whatever it is. I got to get them into some good therapy. Mm-hmm. And there's some good, great therapists out there. There's some mediocre therapists out there. There's some yeah. great life coaches out there. There's some mediocre life coaches out totally. there. And what I, the reason I always try and emphasize this is that it doesn't take long for a leader to realize how daunting this issue is, how perverse it is. And if we say only this group of people with specific educational traits, you know, can help us, mm-hmm. we're just not going to win this war. And so I just always encourage leaders, consider the great life coaches out there like Sarah, who have, have mm, seen success you. and who are really helping people, you know? And anyway, so I just want to make sure that's clear with leaders. Like don't, don't dismiss the life coaches and what the, the power they, they can have. And sometimes it can be a lot, even, you know, as the leader is analyzing the sacred funds they use for therapy and fast mm-hmm. offering funds or whatnot, sometimes a life coach can be a whole lot cheaper and mm-hmm. they get the same results. And anyway, so I just yeah. want to make sure we're, we're really looking at the resource of life coaches. Anything you'd add to that? Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I work with therapists too, and we, we will work side by side yeah. with clients depending on what they need. I typically will recommend therapy. If there's some trauma that hasn't been addressed before, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. If they need more like intensive support, that's going to be a better fit for them. But yeah, it's it's more about like I've worked with therapists that have helped me more than a life coach has. I've worked with life coaches that have helped me more than a therapist has. It just depends on the person, mm-hmm. your level of trust, how you feel connecting with them. So I I graduated from BYU in therapeutic recreation and I was going to get my license. And that's when I found life coaching. And I just love business. I just love the mm-hmm. business side. And I love the like counseling side too. And so life coaching is a really fun mix of that for me. Yeah. But yeah, it just depends how I typically work around that too, is my podcast is just mm-hmm. awesome. And so people listen to it and they get results and they feel amazing. And then if they want some extra help, they trust me because they listen to the podcast. So, so that's a great place to send people for more free help too, is my podcast. Let them start making changes and learning more there too. Yeah. That's really helpful. And anything you'd add as far as like how a leader could leverage someone like you and their life coach, because, you know, with therapy, it's like, okay, we got to get them an appointment and then Mm -hmm. we get them an appointment. They go to this office and they sit on a couch and they talk and I don't know what exactly happens there, but maybe they get better. So, I mean, but life coaching isn't always like that. I mean, you do one-on-one coaching, but I imagine you have other resources as well, right? So how, how could a leader use those resources? So I've had bishops subsidize for my program for for their members. I do a lifetime access program. So it's like six payments or if you want lower payments, it's 12 payments and you get lifetime access to like the program and then lifetime access to weekly group coaching calls, mm-hmm. which are like group therapy calls and all the other stuff in between. So that's an option that I've had members do in the past. And then we also have one-on-one coaching opportunities that they can yeah. look into. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't ever been in the position of being a bishop to help someone yeah. find something. So I'm not totally sure what they might be yeah. questioning or. Yeah, I guess it's just such a traditional model. You know, we just sort of do what the last guy did. And, and mm-hmm. you know, therapy is a very traditional model as well. So it's like, you know, someone has a problem, I send them to a therapist and they send me the bill, I pay it. And so, but man, this issue specifically, we just need to look at all resources and try, you know, whatever works and whatever 
is a good fit for the individual. And so, you know, in my opinion, again, <laughs> read the handbook, you do you or whatever you feel is best. But if I was in that position again, you know, I wouldn't have a problem paying for a monthly program for somebody if it's helping, mm-hmm. right? And again, not that you pay for it forever, but yeah. you know, try it for a while. And and again, if it's helping just as much as a as a therapist would help, then great, you know, go yeah. with it. Yeah, I've had many clients who, who, uh, you know, it's, it, my program is just really specific on that. You go to a therapist and there's probably so many things they're working on with so many people that it's not as specialized, you know. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely consider it. Sarah, this has been great. I guess the la- final question I have for you is if you're in a room full of bishops and relief society presidents, stake presidents, whatever it is, uh, what final encouragement would you give to them as far as, as they struggle with helping other people who struggle with pornography? I think I would just reiterate the message that uh, we can't change from shame and we can't change from from hating ourselves or from being disappointed in ourselves. And so that's the most powerful thing you can do for people is and take their results off of your shoulders too. What they decide to do is not like a reflection of you. So what we get to do is we get to try to help in healing and we heal through love, not from shame and fear. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? You know, everybody's got that friend who listens to a ton of podcasts and maybe they aren't aware of Leading Saints. So would you mind taking the link of this episode or another episode of Leading Saints and just texting it to that friend? You know who I'm talking about, the friend who always listens to podcasts and is always telling you about different podcasts. Well, it's your turn to tell that friend about Leading Saints. So share it. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any perspective or thought on this episode, you can go to leadingsaints.org and actually leave a comment on the episode page or reach out to us at leadingsaints.org contact. Remember, to see the slides from Sarah's presentation and to watch the other 25 presentations, go to leadingsaints.org 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.